You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Olinger, joined by Sean Kennedy. Sean, what a game the other night. Sixers beat the Jazz in overtime behind an incredible performance from Joel Embiid, a clutch overtime performance from Tobias Harris, great play from Ben Simmons, and maybe the best officiating performance we've ever seen in the NBA. Well, according to Donovan Mitchell, in his opinion, the jazz won. So, I mean, you got to look at both sides really. Yeah. Like in my opinion, I got an hundred on the econ midterm I took today. I don't know if that's going to be my professor's opinion. I would bet a lot that it isn't, (laughs) but you know, uh, it's all, it's, you know, numbers are whatever you make them out to be. Yeah, the the scoreboard is just it's a construct. It's it doesn't really matter what the numbers say. It's it's all about what you believe in your heart. Uh, Man, like I was on the Liberty Ballers. We had a Liberty Ballers like Zoom party kind of to watch the game. I was on for that. Uh, Sean, I know you were busy. Uh, Just what was your reaction? I'm trying to think. Uh, Probably the best one is first when Joel Embiid hit the three pointer to send the game to overtime. Uh, yeah. So I I. I was on the road. I didn't watch the game live. I, so I, I watched it afterwards, like knowing what had happened. So mm-hmm. I didn't have the, oh my God, I can't believe this happened in the moment kind of thing. But I did see it on social media for the first time, knowing the Sixers had won, but not knowing how they'd gotten overtime or anything. And yeah, jo- like what was, so I, I didn't get the full context of, of the play like what was were they trying to get a quick two for Joel because he caught it in the mid-range and then he kind of stumbles and he goes back five feet and then takes the three or was it, was it a play to free somebody else up for three off a double team or like if, did, if was there any thinking like what was the discussion there if I'm remembering correctly I remember because the possession before we were upset with Tobias because they ran the pitch for him but he, instead of the quick transition three he tried to drive and lost the ball um I think they were trying to get something like that again, and it didn't really work. The Jazz were all over it. It just gets to Joel at the elbow, and as has like, been joked about before, Joel Embiid was the one who knew they just had to take a three. There was no benefit <laughs> from taking that two there. Just dribbles out, Bojan Bogdanovic standing right in his airspace, but because he's the best player in the league right now, he somehow makes that shot and just – I mean, like, that's honestly the second most miraculous thing that happened in this game. The most miraculous thing was that the Sixers bench, like, de- like made, not only, like, didn't get destroyed at the start of the fourth quarter, they closed the gap behind, like, some incredible Dwight Howard sequences. 
It was yeah, Dwight, Dwight Howard hitting a three with the shot clock winding down in the fourth quarter of a hotly contested game against the uh, team with the big, the league's best record. It's it's exactly how you would draw it up. He didn't he didn't have any fouls either. Dwight and, always yeah, no, fouls. <laughs> no fouls, no turnovers. It was basically a picture perfect twelve minutes of play from Dwight. Uh, he was he was really like he he had a good start to the season. And everyone was, you know, saying what a great signing it was and how he was the ideal backup center for, for this team. And then he really went through a stretch where his play dropped and it was a lot of fouls and moving screens for offensive, uh, which are credited as offensive fouls. And then it's turnover. And it, it was kind of the worst of the Dwight experience for a few weeks there. And now the last two weeks, I think we're back to, to good Dwight again. And he, he really has been just providing high energy play, but just dialing it back just enough that he's not like a wrecking ball that the refs feel like they need to get involved every possession, which it, it's just the right of, amount of Dwight uh, energy right now. And, and uh, I'm back to enjoying the experience. What me and Andrew Underberger of the right circuit Sanchez have like, have like kind of decided is that Dwight is basically there's good Dwight and there's bad Dwight and they usually alternate every other game. We kind of got two good Dwight games in a row, but usually it's just like, but it's a very, it's not very often you get like a median version of Dwight where it's like, oh, you know, it wasn't great, but it was fine. It was either like, oh my gosh, get Dwight off the quarter. Wow, I love that he's our backup center. He's perfect. So. But, you know, like, again, after backup centers of years past, we'll take that 100 times out of 100, a guy who, if you pulled other teams around the league, they'd probably want him as their backup center. He's just like, it's it's crazy to think the Sixers have, the Sixers center right now is the MVP, and they can bring a guy in for a backup who it's at least like, it's at least not like the sky is falling when Dwight is out there. Yeah, is this is this the spot where we discuss Samir Johnson's playoff minutes, or are you saving those for later? <laughs> no, you didn't. Even, you didn't say Greg Monroe. I didn't. <laughs> one like Amir was endearing. Greg Monroe is just infuriating. Yeah, um, I, 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 yeah, I probably misspoke on my uh, ghosts of Sixers backup center past there. Um, yeah, I, I, I did mean the Greg Monroe minutes, obviously. Uh, yeah, it's. You know, it's we're going to talk about the the bench a little later when we talk about our preseason predictions. But I think Dwight has maybe slightly exceeded expectations. He's he's definitely been at, at least what you would have hoped for after the mm-hmm. signing. I, I don't think anyone would. Uh, you got him for the veteran minimum, so he's done nothing but either be helpful for the veteran minimum or greatly exceed what you would expect to get for the vet men. So. Uh, good signing by Daryl, and uh, we're hoping next in the next month, in a few weeks, when the trade deadline comes around, that uh, Daryl's going to have some some more good moves in his future. In terms of like big picture thinking from this game, because the Jazz have the best record in the league, obviously they're probably not the title favorites. From like the consensus viewership, of the NBA does not think, oh, it's the Jazz, and then everyone else, or the Jazz are winning the title. It's the Jazz have kind of elevated themselves to the point where, like, okay, it seems like they're a contender, but they're still like most people are probably picking the Lakers or Clippers to make it out of the West. Yeah, they've but- they've reached the people feel compelled to include them just because of how well they've played and their record, even if they don't put, believe I mean, in their heart that, they, that they're there. But they've they forced their way into the conversation. I mean, I'd pick them to make the conference finals as long as the Lakers and Clippers end up in the 2-3. I, I would be pretty confident in saying that. But 
my my bigger point is that the Sixers now have this win and trying to take away just like I mean it's hard to take away too much from one game it kind of like and like they're still I mean the Sixers were getting killed from the three-point line again like the disparity was just laughable how what the Sixers finished the game with eight they were eight of 25 from three most of those coming in the second half the Jazz were 21 of 44 just it is very hard to usually make up that difference but that difference was closed by one Joel Embiid where I think that's just the big lesson is just we started this pod this regular season I was big on I was a little worried that the Sixers were relying too much on Joel just hitting ridiculous shots I'm like this has to regress at some point this has to Joel will just stop hitting all these tough shots and it just hasn't stopped being that way he has not regressed he even the mid-range percentages came down a touch slight they're still elite like the formula of the season has been the Sixers have the best player in the league right now and the rest of their team is pretty good they have another guy who we in Ben Simmons we pretty much confirmed last pod we think is a top 20 player another guy in Tobias who is good and I think it does show that basically if Joel Embiid really is this, if this is just what we should expect from now on, I mean, they could do it. They might, I, I would still lean Brooklyn in a conference finals matchup, but for the first time in a long time, like, you know, we said the 2019 Sixers, like they felt like title contenders. They were so close to being the Raptors, but I don't think going into the playoffs or throughout the regular season, any Sixers fan really felt like that team was winning the title or had a chance to do it. This team like, and I know you can debate that once they added Jimmy Butler. I always saw. Yeah, like, I'm going to, I'm going to push back on that. I mean, it I was think just like, I, there was never anything during the regular season that was enough for me to say, like, this team really looks like the real deal or the, it was, I, it's hard to describe it now. I'm just banking back a memory from years ago, but. They, they, like, they, they, they were definitely in the mix. I mean, yeah, they, the they certainly weren't favorites or anything, but people, once, once they made the Butler move, it was like, all right, they, they have all the pieces they need to potentially do this. I, I remember, I think I picked the Raptors in five in the second round that year. I was pretty definitive on, I just didn't think they were better than them. And obviously they pushed them more than I thought they would, but it's just unbelievable. Cause now you look around, it's like who is playing better than Joel Embiid right now? It, there's just no yeah, one. Maybe, maybe Nicole Jokic and that's about it. It's and and as if you watch the Nuggets this year, like Jokic is doing all he can. Murray's kind of come back up, but the Nuggets have like the Nuggets are almost in a six years of Sixers past situation where they're questioning the core around like Murray and Jokic and how they've assembled them and what's like if that core is holding back a superstar player. But yeah, their their role players have definitely let yes. them down a lot this year. But like that's the thing. It's like if your guy might win the MVP you feel pretty good about your chances to win a title. And that's really crazy that's happened this year. And it's just another game where here's another test, the Utah Jazz, the team that's been rolling through everybody. Uh, Rudy Gobert at center is like a two-time defensive player of the year. And Joel Embiid is just better than that. He's just better. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it was a tremendous performance by Joel. I mean, you're putting up 40 against the guy that, outside of Philadelphia people regard as the best defensive player in the league. Uh, and he has, he has the hardware to back that up. Um, and yeah, Joel was just doing anything he wanted. Basically he was, he was hitting his jumpers, but he was also, there were quite a few plays where he just like bully balled go bear down low. And uh, it's, it's great to see. I mean, he's playing at such an elite level right now. It's, it's incredible to watch on a night to night basis. Was that game? Like, I know you said you didn't get to watch it live, but 
was that game more fun than the Lakers? It, that's this game and the Lakers win that have been the two most fun games of the season. And yeah, it seemed it seemed from the conversation around this game that it was fun just because not only did they get the big win and Joel hit the incredible shot to force overtime, but also the Jazz seemed so like bitter and salty about the loss and the officiating and everything that people just like lapped that up. It was like catnip for Philadelphia fans because that is true. It, you know, the only thing Philadelphia fans love more than winning is winning while the opposition is complaining about something no yeah the post-game antics for for those who don't know donovan mitchell saying the referees had it in for them in that game rudy gobert saying the same things joel Embiid going at keith pompey from the philly inquirer saying that he ducks rudy gobert all kinds of stuff like that it was just a a very hectic night to be like yeah. on if you were if you had a device open and you are, are in any way related to the Sixers have any interest in them just have any interest in the NBA you were like glued to your device figuring out what was happening between all of them and yeah there was a lot of like the Jazz are a very much a team where and no one's been making fun of them for the past few weeks because they've been so good but now to see this happen like to see their reaction like this when someone took them down a another contender it was I mean, the comedic potential is just limitless. Yeah, there there was that. And then the carryover into the all-star draft tonight where uh, Gobert and Mitchell were the two last all-stars selected. And then LeBron kind of dunked on the uh, the franchise of Utah, dating back to the Carl Malone, John Stockton days. So it, it's uh, it's been a tough, tough couple of days for small, small, small market Utah. And uh Sixers fans are, are are loving it as a result. So, <laughs> are you at all concerned that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons again have not ended up on the same All Star team? I, I want to see them. All, I want to see them play together. They play together, uh, not this year, but normally around eighty two games a year. So, no. I know. I want to see it. In the, <laughs> I want to see it in the All Star game. It might actually get me to watch the full thing. No, nah, this is it's fine. I mean, LeBron's always going to take. Ben because of the clutch connection so that's you know they worked out together in the past and and they're 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 friends so that's fine I don't have a problem with that and um yeah Joel and Ben they it's it's good to see them on opposite sides for for one game a year and they can do the playful like oh I got you on that one or uh and talk in the locker room brag about whoever won the all-star game which is you know not something that really matters but they can uh kind of joke about that amongst each other when they get back to the Sixers locker room it's all it's all good it's it's an exhibition I don't really need to see them on the same team I I, I kind of enjoy them uh either way we get a Sixer victory in in the all-star game so that that's, that's kind of how I look at it that is a good uh, that is a good point um one thing I'm also noticing looking at this team the only other like full-on big that's on the same team as Joel is Nikola Vucevic former Sixer but like all the other teams is Sabonis, Rudy Gobert, Nikola Jokic, Giannis, like kind of all guys Joel has gone head to head with. And like, it's like, you know, when people like to do who is better this or this, like guys, you'll see that, you know, I think, you know what I'm saying? Like other bigs kind of, yeah. even though Giannis, like Giannis is a Giannis, but similar size. I, I think that's a little interesting. Just trying to look for other plot lines here. Yeah. Um, to, to support the uh, the Utah slander a little bit more, right before uh, LeBron took Sabonis, he said, 
all right, my team's a little small. I got to get some size. And Rudy Gobert's sitting there, but he goes to bonus, who's, you know, a few inches shorter than him. So that was that was another good anti-Utah moment during <laughs> during the draft. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's the that's the the fun about All-Star games. You get to see the best players in the world all against each other. So Embiid's going to have uh, quite a few different matchups against elite big men, and uh, you get to see what he can do against them. And hopefully we get to see it in a, in, in a kind of intense environment that we we have seen since they've gone to this uh, this captain format and de- especially with the the Elam ending at the end of the game uh, where that that really ramped up the level of competition in the fourth quarter I thought so hopefully we get to, uh, what was it we had Embiid he was like marking I think it was Paul George at the end of one of those games in like a crucial possession when everyone was going basically a hundred percent and like really going for the win and Embiid had D up Paul George and had just an incredible defensive possession in that game. I think it was, I think it was George if I'm remembering correctly, but that's, that's the kind of stuff I, I really look for in all-star games. And you get those little snapshots of uh, what elite players can do against each other in the biggest of moments. And uh, it's not the biggest of moment in the, the big picture sense, but when they really lock in and you get a, a few possessions where they are going for it, that's that's a lot of fun. So it'll be good to see him beat against those guys. It'll be great. The one thing I remember from like, or the two things I remember about Embiid from last year's All-Star game was the incredible like uh, fake drop step he hit LeBron with for the fadeaway down the clutch when both teams were like nearing the Elam ending. That was nice. But then I also remember when he got the rebound and then Kawhi like, did the thing where his hands turn into magnets and just <laughs> it was so incredible because he just like you know like usually you see guys struggle for the ball no it was just as soon as the ball touched Kawhi's hand it was just his which is still there there are like those little things that like hoops nerds can only really appreciate where you just see a guy like every time obviously like every time a ball touches Kawhi's hand it's just gonna he's just going to absorb that basketball and yeah man also, he's He's the claw. That's what he does. <laughs> I'll, I'll also never be. It'll never be funnier than to me than when Kyle Lowry took three charges in the fourth quarter of the All Star game. I was just cackling. That's peak. Time. That's peak Kyle Lowry. It, br- it bring the All Star game brings out the best in. It brings out the worst in some of us. Some of us and the best in some of us. And Kyle Lowry is certainly one of those. But that's probably enough jazz. And is that is that the worst or the best? Which which bucket do you place that in? Wait, what? <laughs> you said it brings out the worst in some of us and the best in some of us. Kyle Lowry taking charges in the All-Star game. Is that the worst or the best? Well, no, it's the best of what Kyle Lowry does. Okay. It's, it's who he is personified. <laughs> right. Gotcha. Where yeah, I, like, I mean, I, I enjoy it too. I just know a lot of people don't like the grift. So I find it I just, funny. I didn't know, I I didn't know where you came down on it. All-Star games than in playoff games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> especially especially not against the Sixers. Exactly. But... uh. One thing we wanted to do today, so at the beginning of the year in the preseason, we gave out our seasonal awards, basically predicting, like, if we were giving out awards at the end of the season, who we would predict to win them. And because we're at the halfway point, we are going to look back and kind of see, like, where, who, where those, like, thoughts have changed, who we probably think would win it now. And just telling you, I went through most of it. We did not get a lot of it right, I'm guessing, Sean. Like, I think we had a lot of guys, like, who would be second place finishers, but for the most part, I think that <laughs> I don't I think, think we did terribly. Well, I'll just start off with the first one then. So we had the most likely to win se- seasonal bell ringer. We both went with Ben Simmons. Um, I think who was second? We should say 
I, I think Joel Embiid has the case to win that. Yeah, Joel's in, uh, barring an injury, Joel's going to win walking away. I mean, he's having an MVP season. So if you're going to have an MVP season for the entire league, you're going to be the the. Uh, I know the bell ringer isn't exactly an MVP, but it's basically a team it's MVP be, award. Better. Yeah, it, it is better because you get to you get to ring a bell. Um, because Dakota Bias has one. Yeah, it was it was well deserved. Um, that's that's the beauty of the bell ringer. It's it's a it can reach across all members of the roster on any given night. You never know. Um, but yeah, I mean, Terrence Ferguson. Not yeah, probably not Terrence Ferguson. <laughs> probably not Terrence. Uh, yeah, but Joel's, you know, it's it's. I I think he's statistically moved into a tie with LeBron for for MVP odds after the Utah game officially so he's right there as the front runner for MVP of the league right now I I I think going into the season it would have been presumptuous for us to believe that Joel was the MVP of the league this year um so it's obviously a, a terrific development and we're very happy with it and I I'm I couldn't be more pleased to be wrong in my preseason prediction of most likely to win seasonal bell ringer so far, I should say. I mean, like Joel would have to miss games for, he would have to miss like half. He has to miss 18 of the last 36 games not to win it. And even still, yeah. Like, he, he, if you look through these awards and just this whole first half of the Sixers season, the theme is that we thought they might be good. We liked what Daryl Morey did. We were kind of like positive about, Oh, they might be back to being a second round playoff team. Like we kind of thought like this was at least returning back to after they had been on that, that kind of like scale of really good winning a playoff series, but not getting right where not taking that next step. They took a dip in 2020. That was just really horrible. We thought, Oh, they're going to get back up to where they were. They might've ascended that because Joel Embiid didn't just get better. He became so much better to the point where it's like, Oh, like, we always thought Joel was improving. Now he's just like, this is the official, like, all on breakout. He is, he has, like, he has quote unquote arrived as one of the most dominant players in the league. That now, if people like do those lists of who are you taking right now, Joel is at the top of it. Like, or, you know, you'll debate who you can debate all these guys versus each other. But now, Joel Embiid, like, you say Joel Embiid next to LeBron, Giannis, Kevin Durant, James Harden, all these guys, like, right now. It's not crazy at all to say his name, which is kind of the theme of the season is that Joel Embiid turned into this version of Joel Embiid. Yeah, absolutely. He's yeah, not not only has he been incredible when he's been on the court, but he's he's done a really good job of of staying on the court this year. And I think they've kind of picked their spots about the load management well. And he's he has sat out a couple games here and there, but They've timed it well enough that he's been able to avoid the long stretches where he's out for, you know, seven to 10 days or something, um, which, you know, credit to the often maligned training staff for the Sixers. They've been doing a good job in that department this year. And and obviously credit to Joel for he came into this year knowing his conditioning had to improve, and it certainly has. So he, he deserves a lot of credit for putting in the work in that area. Um, and yeah, he's, he's been, as you said, just up there with the biggest names in the league. And, uh, I mean, what more can you really say? The man, the man's been a joy to watch. So moving on to our next one, and just like, before, 
I'll say before we move on, uh, Ben Simmons would, like you said, would be second, but, and he's been great. It's just not Joel Embiid. Uh, our next award was most improved player. I predicted Matisse Thibel. You predicted Shake Milton. I think both of them have gotten better. I think Shake has finally, like, we just hadn't seen that much of Shake. He maybe isn't shooting as well from three, but he's still been, as, as like, when the bench was struggling last night before they got it going in the fourth, the whole the reason was that it was basically the bench was just asking Shake to dribble everywhere and try and figure stuff out. And I think Thibel, like after he tailed off a little bit, especially in the bubble, and we were worried at the beginning of the season, he was just out of the rotation completely. Like he still does not do much on offense at all, but defensively just become a monster. They've both improved. But guess what? Joel Embiid is also the most improved player. <laughs> like, yeah, I was I was gonna wonder Joel if you're going to win every award that means something. I don't know if he's gonna get our most valuable bench player. Okay, well I meant like that's what <laughs> I mean something. I meant like if it's like who is doing the absolute best, it's Joel. Yeah, he's he, he's the rare most improved player that goes from great player to elite player. Yeah. Um, versus usually the most improved player is like going from an okay player to a good player. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been Joel for sure. I, I think, I think shake, if you're talking about how people typically view most improved would be the, the Sixers most improved, probably it, it, it'd be close. I mean, you can make, I think you can make an argument for a couple of different guys, but um, yeah, shake, shake after a great start to the season, he was another guy that kind of slumped, for a little bit there among the bench unit, but uh, we've seen some good moments from him recently as well. Uh, so he's, he's been good, but yeah, Joel going from go, going from great to elite is a underrated. It's an under talked about thing because it, it's very hard when you're already a great player to kind of iron out those last couple areas, of your game and close those few remaining weaknesses you have. And Joel's done that and we, we've seen the results. <laughs> it's been incredible. Well, no, like just before we move on, because like there's not much else to talk about here, but I think it's a lot of guys who are way smarter than me, know what they're doing with numbers really well. Like Ben Taylor and Seth Partnow, I think have like talked about how it is harder to make that jump from like 20th or 15th best player to fifth to top five player than just like top 60 or so player to like a top 20 to 30 player. Like, just the jump, like, it's like a exponential curve of sorts where the higher you, like, the better, like, amongst the players it is, the harder it is to jump them because of how much more work it requires. Just to ha- Like, the NBA is a star-centric league in that the best five players in the league make more of a difference than, say, like, the best five players in the NFL. It's, like, kind of just – it's a more – there's less player, there's fewer players on the court. The one player can have the ball pretty much the whole time on offense. It's, like – they're like the equivalent to pitchers in baseball where they are controlling most of the action in a sense. Like, and obviously it's probably a little more of a team for that, but I think you get what I'm saying is just like Joel going for, like you said, Joel simply going from, Oh, one of the better players in the league to one of the best players in the league who can be your best player on a title team. It just, it's the most important improvement anyone can make. And he made it this off season. Yeah. It, I think your your exponential curve analogy is a is a good one. Yeah, just the the difficulty in moving up those last few slots in the kind of league hierarchy is incredibly hard, and Joel has done that. So, yeah, I, I would give him most improved as well at, at at this moment. Moving on to most valuable bench player, the next one we were we had um, 
I had Dwight Howard. You had Matisse Thibel. I think you can make a case for both of them. Honestly, they've both been very good. I would say less so for Matisse, but even then I'm not going to say you're crazy if you want him. I think that we had this is thing where we had like, we had two guys on the podium, but I still think it's probably Shake Milton has been the best bench player for them. Yeah, Shake Shake yeah. provides that that offensive creation ability that he's the guy who can dribble. Yeah, he he's he's the guy who can actually do something with the ball in his hands on on those five man bench units, which is incredibly valuable. And the Sixers just as a team don't have a lot of guys that can create their own shot. So Shake uh, is a much needed component of the the overall roster construction right now. But yeah, Howard Howard and Matisse have both been really good. Um, they they could win this award by the end of the year. They're not out of the running by any means, but uh, yeah, I think right now it, it would be shake. They, they both could win the award. Furkan still thinks he's the favorite. <laughs> For, yeah. He's in the uh, Donovan Mitchell, in my personal opinion, I, I've won this category, I think. <laughs> and, and, and no evidence to the contrary will pr- ever prove him wrong. Oh my gosh. Still love Furkan, even if it's uh, yeah. season, but you know, he, he's he's the prototypical like shooter's gonna shoot and he that's that's the kind of mentality you need and the Sixers do need that guy who's I think he shot 13 threes a, a couple games ago and they don't have the guys that are really willing to do that just like jack up shots and there is a role for that on a team and especially a team where your two best players aren't high volume outside shooters so yeah, I mean it's it's good that he has that mentality, and we joke about it, but it you know it's all it's all in love for 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 Moss. They like I said, they just need that fusing technology. As soon as we confuse him and Matisse Thibel together, it is that that immediately wins the best bench player award. Yeah, it's it's Perfect. like the uh, the Dragon Ball Z technique where the two guys can exactly. temporarily fuse into one person. That's exactly what they need. As far as most likely to be traded midseason, obviously a sixer hasn't been traded yet. We both said Mike Scott. I would say it still probably is Mike Scott, even though I, I mean, I, <laughs> you just wrote a glowing article about him. I, so I wrote for those who don't know, I wrote a piece on Mike Scott the other day for Liberty Ballers, which is I've heard is a fantastic website that you should all check out. But Mike Mike Scott basically, the first eight games of the season was shooting way too much. I think to put it in his perspective, I think he made the same number of threes in his first eight games that he's made in his last eight games, despite taking, I think, like 26 more threes. So basically he's just been shooting way better, but it's also because he's shooting way less. He's kind of accepted that the, usually a possession is not supposed to end with Mike Scott shooting, especially if it's early in the shot clock above the break, you know, like semi-contested. Like his best role is just you're tall, be out there and get in the way on defense. If you're tall and you can kind of move like he can, it's hard to be that bad on defense. I think he's honestly fine on that end. Then an offense, try and swing the ball when it gets to you, not provide spacing. And then just instead of being the above the break contested guy, being like a corner finisher, as I called it, like when it gets swung to him. And he's done fine with that. I think Mike's been good the last few games. It's still, it's his salary at that 5.7 million mark is like, the tradable salary on the roster and if they want to make a deal like you just throw them in there so it still makes the most sense yeah it's that's the key and it's it's a big reason why we put him in this category he just has that 
that tradable contract to kind of make everything else work, whether you want to do him straight up for one guy or whether you need to package him and some other salaries to get a, a higher priced guy into the fold. Um, he just, he just makes a lot of things work with that, with that salary that he has right now as an expiring deal. And uh, yeah, his, he's, he has played a lot better recently and that, that can only help, um, you know, if they do decide to trade him, he's, he's kind of viewed as a, a net positive asset now, whereas maybe a month ago it would have been like, Oh, this is, we're taking him on. So we don't have to include another second rounder in the deal. I'm talking about, whoever the Sixers will be trading with, like they wouldn't have to throw another second rounder into the deal because they're taking on this negative asset in Scott, which that, that wouldn't be the, the the case now. So um, yeah, I, I mean, either way, if he uh, is still with the team at the end of the month or whether he is uh, most likely to be traded as, as we predicted um, his, his play lately has been very encouraging. Yeah. You know, like we were, I think most Sixers fans were upset to see him back in the lineup because we were all on like, oh, we need to see Isaiah Joe now. We need to call B- Paul Reed up from the G League now. <laughs> what's going on? And like, I still love those guys, but you know, Mike's been Mike's been fine. It's like you said, I I could see another contender saying to themselves, you know, like it's not like we need to go get Mike Scott, but more like if there's some deal involved, like you know, Mike Scott can be our ninth guy. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, the way he's been playing lately, he he could definitely be that you need somebody for like eight minutes in a postseason game kind mm-hmm. of role at the end of the rotation like that, that, yeah, that's fine. The way he's playing right now. Um, yeah. I, we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, I, I do still think it, all things being equal. He, he is most likely to be traded though. So we'll see. We got that one, right? Well, that's what's important there. Yeah. <laughs> As far, our next award was most helpful non stats guy, which you made sure to remind me was, what CBS used to call the Shane Battier award in the preseason. I had Tyrese Maxey. You had Danny green. Now I think even though Maxey hasn't put up great stats, for like I think Tyrese Maxey is because he's fallen out of the rotation does not count as much. He, there hasn't been a lot of helpful stuff with Maxey because he hasn't been on the court very much. So. Yes. And I think your prediction of Danny green is probably right. Although I'm sure there's some Sixers fans who, there are some angry Sixers fans who would say that Danny Green has not been helpful. I still think he has been. And the other guy I put down here, just I still think it's you were right in that it's Danny Green's the favorite for the award still clearly. But I would say Matisse has a case because all of his stats are on the defensive end. He's like no offensive stats to speak of. But it is pretty clear that he's helpful. So that would be the other one in like – I, does that make sense in some way? But I, I still think you're right with Danny Green, but I think Matisse has like an argument. Yeah, it it's kind of weird with Danny because he does the most positive plays, the, the, the most amount of positive non-stats plays, but he also has a lot of negative non-stats plays as well, which is the... And I'm not even talking about like the nights where he just can't hit a shot. There's, there was the like game where... <laughs> For example, last <laughs> night, um, we we don't need to restrict it. The last night, there's been a, there's been a few, <laughs> uh, but, but there was the game where he uh, could not like inbound the ball while the team was pressing late in the game, and they almost let that might have been Toronto, I think, like back into the game. Oh, the ter- the famous one handed cross court pass that like yeah, and and then he and then he almost threw it away inbounding the ball under the basket. He just like passed passed to a guy who was covered, and it was like, why did you throw there? What what are you doing? Um, there's there's that. There's like 
been a couple games where he had really dumb fouls in the last minute. Uh, so he has he has had a lot of negative kind of non-stats plays as well. Uh, so yeah, I don't, it, it, it could be Matisse for sure, um, depending on how have I mean, him and Danny Green, just looking at it now, are almost averaging the exact same steals per game. So I guess... Well, I mean, steals per game, Danny plays more minutes than me. No, no. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm saying, like, if we're talking about how how under the radar the stats yeah. are, like, the raw stats, then Matisse isn't even that far ahead of Danny in terms of stats. So I, I would say his defensive impact is a lot more helpful just because of the kind of havoc he causes. He kind of unlocks that that weird curveball Doc Rivers can throw when the, he goes to the zone now. And Matisse is the, the reason they're able to do that. So that's that's kind of really helpful in a non-stats way. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think he has a case as well. Um, Paul Reed, obviously, you know, you got to throw in this conversation. <laughs> yeah. I'll just... No, I think there's he's like, yeah, when we say best non-stats guy, it's like, oh, he must be an advanced, like, advanced numbers darling. But, like, really, like, I mean, Danny's been fine in that regard. But the Sixers' best lineup by far this season has been when they swapped Danny Green out for Shake Milton. Shake, Seth, Ben, Toby, and Bede, I haven't checked. It was, like, plus 50 per 100 last time I checked. It's basically killing teams. Every yeah. the lineup, it's what they closed that Jazz game with for the most part. And it worked very well because you have, like, a guy in Shake who, like Danny, is like respected as a shooting threat. Even he's like a touch worse percentage wise right now, but also can put the ball on the floor and do stuff with it. And then maybe Danny's like in the aggregate a better defender than Shake, but Shake is still six six with long arms. He Shake is no pushover on defense at all. I, I mean, maybe I, I Shake is definitely not a red target. Like a red, why did I say red target? I mean at red X or a target on his back <laughs> for some reason, but like a. Like he doesn't have anything on that when he's on defense where teams are going after him. So, but like Danny still does the really nice things where he's not afraid to fire away from three and is shooting just fine. And he has the the famous Danny Green cut where teams will be running like a strong side pick and roll and he'll, he'll slowly jog along that corner. His man forgets about him and he replaces the spot that's already been vacated. It's an open three. He does a lot of little stuff like that that's still really good. So I think he's still the winner of the award, even if, it's been harder to see where the help has been this year. Yeah. Well, uh, if you want to say Danny Green's the winner, I'm okay with that because that was my pick. So, yeah. And moving on. <laughs> the other new starter in the Sixers lineup, the best newcomer, Seth Curry. We both picked him. I mean, there have been other guys who've been good, and Seth has tailed off a little bit. We've been a little worried about how Seth, have, Seth has struggled to get a shot off. Like, the Cavs game is concerning that – I mean, sometimes Darius Garland on him, and he still couldn't get it off because he just – he has that set shot. It's not a seamless flow like Steph Curry's shot is. It's very much, I have the ball perched here, and now I will shoot. And at his height, it's just hard to get that off all the time. But he's still shooting ridiculously from the field. His offense still matters a lot to this team. Steph Curry is the best newcomer, and I, I don't think there's much of a debate. Yeah, he was he was the clear, like, you wouldn't even consider anybody else pre-COVID. That was a carry pick for us. We just wanted to give ourselves, like, props. yeah. Right. I mean, sometimes there's those there's awards that are just no brainers, and the like the Oscars every year. There's the category where, like, best cinematographer is is minus ten thousand on the books, and you, you know they everyone just knows that 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 category is going to go to that person. Um, so that that's Seth Curry here. So, uh, yeah, pre COVID he was 
you wouldn't even consider anybody else. He's he's certainly come down to earth um, after having the bout with COVID, and he was still kind of struggling with symptoms um, and didn't had a few games where he came out and just didn't have the conditioning um, and everything else. Um, and so maybe like Dwight would be the other guy you would talk about who who we we talked we already discussed has been very so. good in his role. No, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm just saying it went from you wouldn't even consider anybody else to it's it's i would say it's definitely still seth but it's not you can at least talk about dwight in this conversation now but, fair enough uh, furcon thinks he's going to win this award too even if he isn't technically a newcomer what what is a newcomer if not a guy willing to shoot 13 threes in a game exactly <laughs> um, so best bromance this one age the sean do you want to tell the listeners what we both predicted as our best bromance it was Joel Embiid and Justin Anderson. Um, it, it could still be the case, honestly. They they probably still talk every day. I have no idea. But. Uh, if I was better at editing, I would just do that that uh, line from Major League where it's like just a bit outside. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the legendary <laughs> line from uh, oh, I'm totally blanking on his name, but uh, I am too. But this is why we don't host a baseball podcast. <laughs> but um, Bob Euchre, that was his yes, name. There it is. But uh, yeah. Your second, your second place choice, because you did mention this on the preseason pod, was Toby and Matisse. We've seen less from them off the court this year. It's probably because Kyle O'Quinn was the connecting glue. <laughs> it's probably because guys aren't allowed to hang out in public. <laughs> so what, what we've seen on the court, I'm going to throw, and I think this might be the most positive development I've seen. Is there a case that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons have had the best romance this year? Because they have seemed like, obviously it's just seemed way happier this year because this is so far the best year they've ever had like together and more importantly like i feel like they're sticking up for each other more like you're joel like go out of his way making sure to mention like how like when he dominated rudy last night like i think i'm one of the best defensive players here but also i got another defensive player of the year with me and you know it kind of feels like it feels like they're both enjoying their ascension together if that makes sense yeah there's a lot of uh I, I, yeah, backing up each other is, is a good way to put it. Um, as you just did, he, he yeah, they had to hear that against, uh, after the Utah game last night, uh, there was a, I don't remember who the opponent was a, a few weeks ago, but somebody on Twitter was talking about how, how could Ben be an all-star if, uh, he, he doesn't even score whatever points a game. And it was a game where, where Ben missed and the Sixers lost and, and Joel on Twitter said like, clearly you didn't watch this game. I think it might've been Atlanta. So I'm just going to say Atlanta, even though yeah, it wasn't, that, but was- he's like, clearly you didn't watch the Atlanta game where like everything fell apart. Cause we didn't have Ben. Like he does so much for the team that you don't, doesn't go into the points category. Um, I, I don't know exactly what the tweet was, but that was the essential mm-hmm. gist of it. Um, so yeah, they've, they've been, standing for each other for sure and and tobias uh as well like everybody was making the case that tobias should be an all-star but yeah ben and joel have you know there there was no talk of oh they don't get along this year they've clearly been getting along they've been you've been seeing some smiles and some joking between them on the court um which is great to see and they're they're sticking up for each other off the court as you mentioned so yeah i i think you could definitely make that case for this category here Mm mm-hmm 
one other one I would throw in there, I, I think Joel and Ben is, I honestly just want to say Joel and Ben because it's so happy after years of questioning whether they actually liked each other that it feels like they truly do. <laughs> that um, Joel Embiid and Dwight Howard seem to get along pretty well. They're always dancing before games. I, they definitely have the vibe of two physically, two guys who like physically are such outliers that they kind of vibe with each other as un- it's like an understanding like there's not a lot of guys like us in the world who have ever been built like this and just kind of and they have that whole like goofy big guy vibe to them and it's just kind of nice like there's the video of them and Tobias was in on it too where they were all dancing before the game they, that, that's just another one where I feel like Joel and Beat and Joy Howard even though they hardly ever see the court together at the same time except for that Atlanta game, and I think they posted like a negative 100 net rating in like t- four minutes. So, yeah, not seeing it again, but like, I, I that's just another one I was going to throw out there. But yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Joel and beating Ben Simmons for this one, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'd classify that as a Dwight and Joel thing so much as like Dwight would get the team cheerleader award if we had one. He, he's, he's he clear- Nor- Norvell Pell's crown, the Norvell Pell air guitar award goes to Dwight Howard um he, yeah he's he's clearly the hype guy for this team which uh, is always something you need so uh, he would get that award um yeah I, I think I think it might be Joel and Ben I, I didn't really think of that prior to you bringing it up but uh yeah I, I could see that for sure we'll give it to Joel and Ben for now uh the next one is probably the easiest layup we both predicted it it's even easier than the Seth Curry one in retrospect most likely to have the fan base turn on him one Danny Green has definitely had the, some sections of the fan base turn on it, as it always does. It's There is no in-between with Danny Green. You love him or you hate him. I know Dave DeFore of The Athletic loves him like a son. <laughs> uh, good. Dave's great, just for anyone out there who's wondering. But um, no, <sighs> there's definitely some people get very mad when Danny Green will miss a few shots in the row or when they're – what is it? They were down – were they down one or three to the Cavs when he fouled, even though they didn't really need to, or like had some time to try it? Like, it's just, it's definitely him. <laughs> I actually didn't get to see that because the NBC Sports streaming app decided to continue playing ads instead of the last 30 seconds of regulation in that Cavs game. Because um, right. uh, they, they always do fun little stuff like that to keep you on your toes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, I, I think we correctly picked him for this award. A lot, a lot of people calling for, for Danny green to get traded. Um, and we, we discussed this in the preseason and I, I kind of just mentioned it when we were talking about the uh, helpful non-stats guy award, but he, he just has so many stark. Oh my God. Why did you do this play plays that it, it really, for, for the, not even the casual fan, but it, it's frustrating for everyone. And then for people that don't kind of realize how valuable his off-ball cuts and help defense and kind of the, the non-stats things in a positive sense that he does bring to a table. If you if, no transition defender has always been the thing. Like he yeah. transition defense better than anyone. Exa- yeah, he does these kind of things that are really great in a nuanced way. And he does these really awful things that are, terrible in a glaringly obvious way so it, it was pretty clear that uh the fan base would turn on him uh and i i think he is still the front runner in this category dwight for the the three or so weeks where he was just fouling everybody in sight and yeah, i still think like people kind of enjoyed dwight's fouls in a way like because dwight dwight not... still does things that like 
so I'll put it this way. Like, it's very clear that Dwight is still <laughs> a useful NBA player and some of the stuff that does. It's just hard to get out of your mind that Danny Green, a three-time NBA champion, a guy who's an above-average player, has had a great career, like, can't dribble better than me or you, maybe? He does things that look like – what. Whenever he tries to dribble, he looks like if you just pull the random guy off the street and put him on there, it's like, okay, try and dribble through an NBA defense. That's what it looks like because he just – he is very awkward, but yet it's he's a very cerebral player in everything he does. So it's – and it's just hard to always appreciate that. And it's always going to be that thing where the stuff that looks good from Danny Green is just like, oh, that's interesting. But the stuff that's bad from Danny Green is like avert your eyes. So. Yeah, it's like tear your hair out stuff. So, it's Danny Green. Yeah. There's no other one out there. Yeah, I agree. The next one is most likely to surprise us. I went with Furkan Korkmaz. Furkan, rumors are that Furkan was mad at me for thinking he needed to surprise anyone. Uh, Sean went with Tobias Harris. I think you're right. You might have been right there. The only other one is that could we also give this one to Joel Embiid? Because he surprised us by becoming the MVP frontrunner. Yeah. Uh... I don't know if his becoming an MVP is as surprising as Tobias becoming a near all-star in, in a crowded, like all-star field. Mm -hmm. Um, I I still think it's Tobias. I think this Uh, out of all of them, this I think is the most evenly split in that. Like it really just depends on how they each play the next half of the year. Cause I could, it's almost like 50, 50 when thinking about this, when thinking about this theoretical preseason award we thought of a few months ago, that this this one is the most evenly split to me so far. Because I think it's both huge surprises how much they've improved. Yeah, it, and um, I think, I don't know when you want to talk about how right I was about Tobias in the preseason you, pod. Yeah. It, okay. can, that be, can that be right now? You said that <laughs> you were like, Tobias had a down year variance-wise. I was like, he's always been this kind of shooter. You were saying, said like being with doc could help him out again that he's going to probably shoot a little better like more defined role and team and you were exactly right tobias harris is having maybe like the clippers year a few years ago was the best year of his career if not the it's these are probably the two best years of his career he's much better than he was last year he's gone from oh my gosh how can we like be paying this guy as much to he's overpaid but he's a net positive on the court in all ways so you just accept it he beat the Lakers with the famous game winner. You were right about Tobias Harris and that I, I was too, I was too down on Tobias. I already apologized for all this. Remember the people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't say you had to apologize for anything. You already wrote a whole article. I, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm so, so rarely right about things that I, I need a little bit of shine for, for being very right in this case. So. I appreciate it. You, 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 I think you summarized it very well. Um, yeah, but uh, Tobias has, he's been terrific. And um, I, I, we saw it again in the Utah game where he, he struggled most of the game before, like he just decided it was like the weird thing where the jazz have this very small lineup that they'll go to. Like, I mean, Royce O'Neal is only six, four and they have the three guards. And it's one of those just rare things where sometimes basketball is as simple as, Tobias Harris is stronger and taller than the guys who were guarding them and just bowled them all over. Yeah, he was just backing down uh, first Bogdanovich and then O'Neal. And then he O'Neal kind of, I guess, figured out whatever Tobias's go-to move was. And then Tobias countered with a really sweet baseline fadeaway, um, which was 
a, a huge shot to put the team back up three with about a minute and a half left. Um, but yeah, he, that was, you know, last, last night speaking, uh, as in Wednesday, cause you're likely listening to this on Friday. Um, so Wednesday night, Tobias, like everyone would have been totally fine if he sat out, like he'd missed a couple games. He had the knee contusion. It's like, Oh, the all-star breaks coming up. That's probably the smart thing to do. Just get as much rest as possible. Um, make sure you're, you're as close to hundred percent as you can be going into the second half of the season and Sixers really have a tough stretch of the schedule coming up. So you want Tobias at, at full strength. So if he had sat out, everyone would bit like, no one would have batted an eye that they, they would have said that was a smart move. Um, instead, he he comes back, he, he plays through whatever discomfort he has and doesn't look great in regulation, as you mentioned, but then, yeah, he just turns into the closer again in overtime, scores 11 of the team's 13 points. Uh, just, you know, awesome work by, by Toby. And, uh, yeah, we've seen multiple occasions this year. He's he's filled that. Hey, it's crunch time. We need somebody that can kind of create their own shot. That's that's not Joel banging down low for ten seconds. And uh, to and Tobias has you know fit that role beautifully. And he's he's won a couple games for him. Um, and I don't think anyone expected that coming into the season. I think that's been a, a huge surprise. So. I'm going. I'm going, Toby. I'm. I'm saying I was right with uh, most likely the surprises here. I'll say you are slightly ahead of being right, and that Joel Embiid could still just continually do. And again, I said, like I said, very, very close. They've both been incredible surprises. I was dead wrong about Furcon. We don't need to talk about that anymore. <laughs> um, most likely to be on another team in 21-22 season. Um, this is kind of a weird one. I said like Shake. I had Shake and Ben. You had Tobias Harris. I don't think either of them are getting traded or moved anytime soon with how they've played. Yeah, I don't think any of them yeah, are. The, um... the four names I had down, it's like who could be on another team next season. Like we mentioned Mike Scott. We mentioned Danny Green's like been floated. In well, trade. Mike Scott isn't eligible because we said it wasn't guys that were free agents upcoming. So. Well, so then I would say the other three names that could be in the running for this award are Danny Green and then Tyrese Maxey and Matisse Thibel because honestly, those are the three names that have been floated floated like for potential Kyle Lowry trades just as you know Danny Green has value to teams and has like contract Danny Danny Green also upcoming free agent so not eligible I so Tyrese Maxey or Matisse Thibel were the two names I had it's like I mean we like both of them but other teams like both of them too if the Sixers want to get better right now you know they could they could trade some of they could trade one of them and I mean I'm not even sure I probably wouldn't bet on either of them doing it just like saying of pieces other teams could want, those are two guys. Yeah, I, I would I would say it's clearly uh, Maxi if if yeah. we're talking about most likely to be on another team next year. And sense. and you had to pick someone because you know Daryl's been on the record. This is like a championship or bust season for the Sixers. So if they're all in, Thibel's a guy you need in the playoffs because there's gonna be those yeah. those wings on other teams that you need him in the rotation to to try to slow down on the defensive end. Tyrese is a guy like we've, we've discussed in previous podcasts is that he, I don't see a scenario where he's in the playoff rotation at all. So if he's expendable in a championship or bus season, he's going to be the, the headline return package for whatever, you know, bigger piece the team wants to kind of bring in. It's going to be maxi and picks and salary filler in like a Mike Scott, Terrence Ferguson 
you know salary filler combination with Maxi as the uh, the the primo return to really incentivize somebody to give the Sixers somebody helpful. Um, so yeah, it, it it would definitely be Maxi for this category for me, like for for the reasons I just laid out. As much as much as I like him, and I, I don't, I'm not saying this is definitely going to happen. I think it's more likely the Sixers just get kind of end of the rotation type guys where they don't have to give out a big return and it'll be like just one late first or an early second or something um to kind of fill in the margins i don't i don't really expect a big move at the deadline but if there is a bigger move to be made it's going to be maxi that's going out see the problem is you're coming at this rationally i forgot to check if danny green and mike scott i forgot to check for that non-2021 free agent clause (laughs) i'm thinking I can't give up Maxi. It can't lose another rookie. Can we just make this Terrence Ferguson and call it call it a day? Uh, is Terrence Ferguson eligible? I feel like he's. I feel like he's not. I, I'm in. I'm in complete denial about Maxi. I will not give up on Maxi. Well, uh, no one's giving up on him. I'm saying this. I, I'm, I know, but I'm like, I'm not giving. I like don't want to include him in a trade, even if it helps the team. Like I'm in full on denial. So Ferguson is a restricted free agent in the summer. Gosh darn it. So, sorry. Well, okay, we're going to, that was our last award, but we are going to end on a We're now out of awards. <laughs> we are going to end on a positive note here. I brought this up on Twitter a few weeks ago when I was doing my Northwestern basketball tweeting about how the only three players in Bartorovic's database to, for Northwestern to shoot over 14 threes per 100 possessions and over 35% from the field. Two of the three seasons belong to one Craig Moore, which Sean then informed me is a former teammate of his. Sean, you you have the floor. (laughs) So yes, uh, I played AAU ball with Craig Moore, who was, uh, he's a year below me. And uh, we were on the Solberry Red Storm together. Uh, I believe the best we ever finished nationally was uh, top 16 um, on the national AAU circuit. Uh, I, I was I was not a starter on this team. I was I was a bench player. Um, I, I I wanted to ask you like what, where where does Craig Moore place in the kind of northwestern like because oh, you were nine like what do you know of Craig Moore being. <laughs> wasn't a northwestern fan growing up i go to college there now i still i need to get a better sense of the historical sense uh when i could tell you like the northwestern fans who commented on my tweet seemed to like him pretty much yeah i was gonna because he wasn't it wasn't like he was a four-year starter or anything he by by the the, the end of his career he was starting but he he, he wasn't even a guy that was like in the rotation as a freshman not like so he, a legend but it's not like it's not like they're like, ugh, Craig Moore. Like people yeah. generally have positive thoughts about him. It seems like. Okay, so yeah, uh, so to the Northwestern listeners, since we probably have a few, since you, uh, for 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 you, I think you're um, overestimating my online clout. Uh, you, you'd, you'd be surprised. Um, <laughs> you never know with these things. Uh, so yeah, Craig. Craig was a year below me, um, but he played with us because obviously he's very good and went on to start for D1 basketball team. So mm-hmm. you, you can understand how good he was. He was, he was very much a guy you would predict would go on to, to lead in that three point advanced analytics stat that you mentioned. He was always 
basically, he, he, 14 threes per 100 is a crazy volume, and he still like did not yeah. he had like a round average to above average percentages, which is just impressive. It's if you shoot that many threes and shoot them like it's like the Dame Lillard thing. You shoot that many threes as long as your percentage isn't crap, it's really good. Yeah, so he was very much that type of player as a 14 year old on the AAU circuit. He would often shoot from like three feet behind the three point line, and he was just he would just jack them up like it would it was like Corkmoss, but if Corkmoss was doing better um it, it was he had that kind of mentality out there and uh yeah he was he was an incredible shooter uh always always has been and uh continued that to his collegiate career had had a really nice career at uh northwestern um i i, I did i you, you you kind of talked about whether we should actually mention this, and I, I did say there was a Sixers connection with my AAU team, so I'll mention that now. Another guy who was a year below me but played with us was one Ryan Ayers, the son of former Sixers head coach Randy Ayers. There you go. <laughs> so Ryan Ayers went on to have a have a really nice career with Notre Dame, and um, he he was a he he ended up starting for them, and I think he was like a twenty point per game scorer for Notre Dame. Uh, like really nice college career. And uh, yeah, I actually ran into Randy, his dad, former Sixers coach um, at a Brooklyn Sixers game uh, a couple years back. Uh, he was working as a scout for Brooklyn at the time. I, I think he's now an assistant coach for the Suns. Um, but yeah, Randy, Randy's a great guy. Uh, Ryan, Ryan is as well. Um, great family. And uh he he and Craig Moore were uh, two of the uh, the key parts of our our AAU success back in the day. This and uh, sorry, I don't have like <laughs> great like oh my god, I, you won't believe the story. Ever, but it was it was twenty years ago. So <laughs> did you ever beat Craig one on one? No, I okay. Oh, just making sure. <laughs> we we wouldn't. Yeah, we never we we'd uh what was it called? You'd play the uh, like King of the Hill type game where you play like one-on-one and if you score you stay oh, on okay. and the next time, like that was the only thing we would ever do like one-on-one situations gotcha. so yeah um it was it was never like guys were staying because you couldn't even drive so it was like your parents were like waiting to drive you home so it's not like you're sticking around after practice to play one-on-one guys mm-hmm. um but yeah uh that was that's that's my craig moore connection and and my my sixers i, I knew randy Ayers prior to him being the sixers head coach connection as well my really the only flex i have because i never got to play i was never allowed to play aau growing up just for my like little leagues and then middle school and high school teams is that uh my best friend and he's now they he's a starter at geneva college right now and he i think he's like he might have been leading the conference in scoring this past week i haven't kept up enough with that but i know he's been having a great season so shout out to him that's that's my flex (laughs) there you go so when uh somebody brings up a three-point analytics for geneva college then you can come on the pod and tell us some stuff exactly all right sean i think that's gonna wrap it up for us this week thank you all for listening please subscribe to the show rate review listen all those good good things the sixers are 24 and 12 they are now the official kings of utah (laughs) great week yep uh enjoy all-star weekend and uh the, the ben v joel showdown uh, what, volume three, I guess this is. And uh, we'll talk to you next week.